0: Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of RPG Blueprints. This is a first of two parts of a conversation I had with Livy, the DM of my most recently finished campaign. We started it in July of 2019 and played pretty much weekly until January of 2023. Three and a half years of a campaign was a lot to process, and I wanted to have Livy on to talk about how our campaign ended, as well as how you can come to a satisfying narrative conclusion. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of RPG Blueprints, Livy. Um, like it was prophesied, here you are, and we're talking about the end of our campaign.
1: Yes, uh, just a couple weeks ago it ended. Very, very exciting.
0: Yeah, it's hard to believe that we're a couple episodes or sessions deep now into our next campaign already because it felt like we were waiting for the end of that last one for so long like two years i think it was closer to two that we were talking about the end of that campaign um but yeah so today um i just wanted to get you on so we could talk about how that ended and sort of um how you were able to guide us to like a satisfying narrative conclusion for three and a half years of playing together
1: I, I'm so happy to hear it was satisfying. That was that that is ten out of ten. Great great to know.
0: Yeah, I think I think uh we all felt that way. Um we uh yeah, do you want to talk about how you sort of set up our um our epilogue session?
1: Yeah, so um I did a version uh that had was sort of improved upon the first time I ever did epilogues which was with um, a, a campaign that was a lot uh, grittier and less fantastical than this one. So uh, I I was really excited to like leverage how fantastical and, and fantasy everything was at the end of this campaign. Um, but I also I, I wanted everyone to have a chance to, to tell their endings in a way that wasn't like fanciful or lighthearted and that, Mm -hmm. had some of the impact that like death actually has. Um, So I invited everyone over and we all sat around in my living room, which we call the tavern. Um, And for six hours in sort of order of demise, uh, we went around and each player um, with help from other members of the table and often some clarifications from, from me, uh talked about the rest of their life post-campaign um what all of the years following the last ascension would look like up until the day of their death um i had some questions for each character based on um discussions with the individual players on what they wanted to accomplish and how they wanted to accomplish it and uh, the only question everyone shared was where and how do you die? Um, so everyone had unique questions except except that one. Everyone got to share that one. Um, yeah, and we all, we just all went through it person by person, the rest of everyone's life. So that was the epilogue.
0: Yeah, and I didn't realize uh, going into it that, um, which kind of in retrospect is a very obvious thing but considering you asked us all where and how do you die that it was essentially like going to six consecutive funerals and i didn't realize i thought that i would cry for my part telling about how my character brinthos died but i didn't realize like how visceral it was going to be going from each person and like going through their death and like the consequences of each of those deaths. It was so much more brutal than I could have ever anticipated.
1: I I had I just had to focus on keeping it together because it's I amazing. had like narrative beats to hit and like, you know, okay, we need to, you know, do a nice little exit paragraph and intro paragraph to the next person um, but once you'd all left and once it was all over, like hours and hours and later at midnight, I just I just cried for about thirty minutes. Yeah. Like, when everyone was gone, I just sat and bawled in uh, in the same room that we'd been in because it was it was devastating. Like I wanted these characters to have a proper send off because you guys have put so much love and depth into them that they deserved more than. You know, uh, uh, two sentences at the end of a session, um, but it was incredibly emotionally taxing yeah. <laughs> to do that to to individually say goodbye, and um, and it was also crazy cool in terms of like you all created such an interesting world with your various lives, and and um, something cool that came out of it is is I almost feel like the whole group had going into this new campaign, the whole group has a really strong sense of sort of what came before
0: this, mm-hmm.
1: you know, unlike this campaign in which the, the past was just this like inky unknown blackness. This is like, no, you know, y'all are really familiar with <laughs> uh, the past. Cause, cause your previous characters created it. And it, yeah. was, it was just all very heavy world impacting stuff. Um
0: Yeah, just thinking about it. Yeah, and I have to thank you because you do a really good job of making it feel like our our choices. Which last campaign we had like really heavy choices that were like hours of like negotiations and compromise, like within the group. And we actually did see the effect of those decisions, like both within that. Uh, campaign within the epilogue and now there's a lot of moments where you're able to be like, oh that's this. Oh, like this this is because of something that happened, you know, halfway through the campaign, last campaign, but now it's affecting us. So you've set um for people, is it forty thousand roughly years in the future or
1: yeah, like forty to fifty thousand yeah. years from the end of the campaign to the beginning of, of this new campaign. I think my favorite campaign connection is that the the one of the characters, Mass, who I'm sure we'll get into, spent the rest of her life building a city
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the ruins of her sort of God's golden birdcage, quote unquote, utopia um, that that y'all spent a little bit of time in. <laughs> in the campaign and you were delighted but also disturbed by which is good mm. because that's sort of the vibe of the city like beautiful and utopic and it's kind of weird that no one here seems to have any desire whatsoever to ever leave this place like that's a little bit
0: strange Most well, bit um, stepford
1: <laughs> a bit stepford right but Maz didn't create this crazy insular religious community she created like a huge diverse city Mm -hmm. and now the city in this new campaign little level 3 babies is on the reconstructed like territory of that city Um, and you don't you you know I don't think your characters have been exposed to this much in the new campaign of Ashmazia but um, it's pretty open in the history that the founders built these ruins and, and built the city based off of the history that they were able to garner from like the literal stones with spells like legend lore and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were able to actually look back and say, wow, this was a great diverse metropolis that leveled everyone equally. And like, that's, that's where Ashmazia came from was based off of Naz's efforts. So that to me, that's like the most direct, like one-to-one Um, impact from last session to this session is like literally the city (laughs) the city is Maz's city just um, rediscovered and and rebuilt
0: well I have a pretty big question on that topic on the topic of this episode Um, so we've been talking about Ashmazia the name of the city for about two years now but it hasn't been I don't think it's been two years of maz deciding to build this city so when did the connection between the two cities happen for you in your brain
1: i asked sandeep uh the the player uh a few months ago um actually well well many many months ago i asked the table as a whole whether or not they would like ashmazia to be wildly in the distant future to the point that sort of any any um, trace of the previous campaign would be sort of obliterated by time or if they'd like it to be closer and have some impact from the previous campaign and unanimously the table was like we want it we want to feel what we did last campaign
0: yeah
1: um and then months after that and just a couple of months ago from now um sandeep was the first to arrive at the table for the night And so I just asked her, would you want this city to be sort of the remnants of Maz's city? Because that had already sort of been thoroughly in the works. Um, And Sandeep seemed very enthusiastic about that idea. Um, So yeah, uh, uh, very, very close to the end of um, the dropouts, which is what I consider the name of that campaign to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Very, very close to the end of the dropouts did I decide the two cities would be the same because narratively it fit. Um, and the, the player seemed to like the decision. So I just sort of worked on the premise, worked backwards from the premise that these were the same city um, right. and then filled in the blanks from, from sort of that fact and worked backwards from there.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's not the only like direct one-to-one um that we have to look at and actually one of them came up in our epilogue like you you decided on it being a link in the epilogue because you didn't even know that liz was going to become a tree right
1: (laughs) yeah our our druid character did the thing sorry our dryad wizard who uh, is not a druid (laughs) is a dryad wizard Uh, decided to follow in her mother's footsteps, who was a full dryad. Uh, Of course, uh, uh, Autumn is the character's name, is a half dryad. And she decided to follow in her mother's footsteps. And, you know, dryads don't die. They become part of nature. And so this very powerful wizard dedicated herself to the preservation of knowledge and became this huge tree. And on a totally unrelated note, in a letter I had written to our dear host, Cole's character, Akilah, um, the very first letter she's receiving from this scholastic, uh, uh, friend slash sort of mentor of hers, um, co-worker rather, uh, mentions a huge tree of knowledge Mm -hmm. filled with all kinds of ancient knowledge um and you looked up at me at the table as liz was talking about autumn's demise with these big eyes like and that's the tree and i was like i didn't plan on that being a tree but i'm not gonna say that it like this is perfect and so how many big
0: trees of knowledge can we have in the same (laughs) world
1: we're just going to do the one. We're going <laughs> to say this is the, you know, and, and just little details like that. Big tree in the letter is sort of a halfling tree, mm-hmm. and the scholar's work that is sort of being pursued after there is teakwood rillborn rill. Of course, being one of the gods you ascend in the dropouts campaign. Yes, um, and it would be just to the south of the Ashmazia. Uh, continent, the Aurelia continent, um, Ashmazi city, Aurelia is the continent, um, which means it would be on what during the dropouts would have been like the human territory and who stayed on the human territory. Well, your two little Rill devotees, your, your wizard and your artificer couple, they stayed on the human continent. They were both devoted to Rill. And so it just, it all worked out perfectly that like the worship of Ril would have spread from their practice and it would have actually become halfling territory with all these crazy inventions. And
0: and to go one further, like is another just coincidence that sort of worked together is that Ril was originally not even like on the human continent at all, was not related to that, was on a completely separate continent. So for something narratively to have led there to make this connection work, it's just like... (laughs) you <laughs> there are so many like perfect coincidences that just sort of made it perfect but i don't want to take that out of your hands because um i think you did a lot of guiding that let a lot of these coincidences to form right like it's not like you sat there completely hands off and 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 just everything fell into place oh wow how magical uh, it wasn't quite like that um but i do think there was a certain amount of magic in our campaign
1: there's a certain uh amount of magic in this in this group to be entirely honest but yeah the dropouts campaign was something very special and i can only hope that ashmazia is um the same if mm-hmm. i can only wildly hope it will surpass it um but yeah, there there's a lot of that. And as Cole will discover through Ashmazia, there's a lot more of that, that is that has happened of just um me, my story that I'm kind of developing behind the scenes and the stories that the players want to tell, mm-hmm. having these great moments of overlap, like these sudden these sudden um crossovers of meaning, or even just visual or you know, and and having yeah, and that happened over and over again just in the dropouts itself. It happened in the epilogue between the two, you know, that happened, that kind of connected the two campaigns in a way, mm-hmm. um, given we kind of ended on the apocalypse. <laughs> uh, right. Um, yeah, um, and I, I think it's going to happen a lot. I know it's going to happen a lot more in Ashmazia as well. It's there. Were, there's definitely a magic to this to this group. We're all on a very similar creative wavelength.
0: Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Um, so talking about how you sort of are intending certain story things, I know that um, the whole course of the campaign diverted dramatically from what you had originally envisioned us sort of um uh, aligning with specifically the chromatics you saw and us being more of a destructive force than what we ended up being. Um, if you were to, like, do you see sort of in your mind sort of like, you know, act one, two, three, four, whatever, like like certain chunks where you had an idea of where this story was going and how how soon did you sort of see the ending that we had coming to be?
1: so i am an improv dm um i always have been Ashmazi is my first attempt at doing something more scripted but for the dropouts i had no idea where the story was going um when it started it the premise of it was a bunch of criminals, whether that is sort of um, warranted by their actual behavior or rather um, maybe a, a title placed upon them by the state as a punishment for not being cooperative or submissive to the, to the will of the state, um, broke out pieces. of prison, faked their own death, allied with, the, with an anarchist society in the woods, burnt down a town's stores as a price for their freedom and allied with what was basically a, a two orphans from the woods that just came out and wanted some friends and so yeah i definitely was like okay this is, might be an evil leading campaign this mm. is going to be a campaign a lot about taking what we want and getting revenge and getting our power back and there was a lot of that let's you know um um there was a lot of that a but a lot of revenge there was a lot of revenge but there was also a lot of deciding that it wasn't important and mm. the the forsaking of revenge for like a greater good or like a larger spiritual wellness and like i could never predict with you guys what was going to be something that triggered a bloodlust a a a, a revenge fueled arc of of just going hard on this one on this one point of of dishonor or disrespect or whatever it was and what you guys would just go, well, actually, that's fine, and you're our friend, actually, and we're gonna do our best to do right by you, even if <laughs> even if you've disrespected us, I could never predict, yeah, so I had no idea how it was gonna end up until like up until uh one of the the very last dragon you ascended ended up being the gold dragon, um he was the very last one to go, and he ascended via sort of a mass burning of the Arctic wastes that had frozen over most of the livable land on the material plane due to a previous apocalypse and da 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 da, da. Um, I was not sure you weren't going to go into straight out battle with him and kill him until he was literally a god. Like, I wasn't I mean, that, sure.
0: That was my <laughs> vote for... <laughs> probably at least 20 sessions. That's where I was leaning and trying to convince the entire team to go along with the idea, because honestly he was such a dick that I didn't see many other options. And I'm actually really surprised that we were able to convince him um, in his very prideful, tough guy masculinity complex that we could say hey why don't you humble yourself and do something good for the world so the world will remember you and think of you as something truly great
1: yeah that isn't what got him on your side um uh uh it was the thing that brought gold over to that uh line of thinking was stormy um putting in his head that this burning of the Arctic of the white wastes as they were known um, would give his people power. It it would expand the land of the dragonborn.
0: Oh yeah. I didn't didn't mean to come across that the humbling yourself like, (laughs) and that act like the, like that was like, Oh wow. That sounds great. Sign me up. I just mean like, in the process of giving his, his, his people power, like, he did, in a way, humble himself to be like, I'm leaving my body behind. Like, it's, like, mm-hmm. I am done in this world, you know? Like, I am making the, a sacrifice.
1: Yeah, and I he definitely wasn't thinking about it that way. Yeah. But I think that is ultimately what ended up happening. And I, I don't even think... Gold... I described it right at the very end that he'd become the size of a house cat. Mm-hmm. He burned away so much of himself that he was this idiot. The, the biggest of the dragons was now smallest of the dragons. Um, <laughs> um, and I think at that point, he probably realized he'd been tricked. <laughs> when he was as small as a house cat, I think at that point he was like, Oh, I see. Like like I see what what has been asked of me here. I see now mm. that this is like a sacrifice. Um but no, he absolutely did not have that self-awareness going into it until he was already too committed to go back.
0: Well, I am um, glad to know that in the end when he ascended, he did understand what had happened. That's that's a good he thing. He
1: did. He did, and that that um yeah, but no, to answer the original question to all this, no idea. No idea when, I had no idea what the ending was going to be. So I never it was know maybe
0: five sessions prior that you could really see the nature of the ending of the campaign. Maybe. not. Maybe
1: even. five set. Not even. Like, wow. truly, like, session to session, I had no idea. I was just, it was like, the whole, because there's nothing for me to prep. You all were so powerful and had so many resources and so many contacts that I could not prepare anything because anything i prepared would be would be futile um and the last thing i'm going to do in the last handful of sessions of the campaign is start dragging you by the nose down things i've prepared that's not so, so i really had i i had no clue i had no clue if you would attempt to negotiate with the dragon of chaos who ended up being sort of the um uh uh appropriately in my opinion lackluster final battle um i okay i yeah. don't
0: think it was lackluster i know what you're saying i don't think it was lackluster and i and i i will emphasize more the appropriateness of it than it being lackluster because i think like you said we had worked our butts off to get where we were to be so powerful that when we frankly embarrassed her in our first what six rounds of combat that she was ready to make a deal
1: yeah and i i was always very proud of myself red chaos was the campaign antagonist yeah she was the villain since session one your warlock had this big mean scary patron who would give him treats for being evil yeah. that was a huge part of
0: oh, yeah.
1: our our warlock tiefling who then became our warlock artificer tiefling who then became our artificer tiefling um that was a huge part of the early campaign was red literally being like i will give you luck points to drop this powerful amulet of a demon prince into the ocean so that i might resurrect him and cause more chaos
0: yeah that's
1: right like Exactly. So she was always the antagonist and then sort of to end it and it not be scary. And you guys not even give her the grace of like negotiation or like standing as equals. Like that's not what you were here for. Yeah. She was the last thing on your to-do list and you were here to curb stomp her, die or go home. Yeah. Either way, the, it was being solved today, right? Like yeah. that was the attitude going into it. And so so it felt very appropriate. She She kind of took a coward's way out in the end. You know, um, and even her attempt at vengeance from godhood didn't end up panning out.
0: Which actually, just to talk about it for anyone that wants context. um, So it was it was wild. That moment was wild because it was near 10 o'clock when we normally finish up. Um, Unfortunately, Elizabeth had gone to the washroom, left the table and um, and Liz, it was her like. She was last in the turn order, right? And Mm -hmm. she was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, like, she had this bit of a speech to call her out. And did she ask to pull a card or how did that go?
1: She asked, what is it going to take, basically, to end this? Yeah. Like, like offered Red a hand of of mercy. Yeah, being like, we're...
0: kicking your ass right now and like just stop it
1: yeah basically like just just stop it you can't stand against us yeah let's let's be mature about this basically (laughs) um and because red had been such a big red chaos had been such a scary villain such a terrifying antagonist and the thing about her is that her she's very unpredictable yeah so And so being in the same room with her for any period of time, and the, the times in which I forced all of you to sit in a room with her were the tensest sessions ever because he, you, you were all fully aware that each and every one of you were standing on landmines, having to be very careful
0: how we, you shifted your weight. We, inv- we avoided the entire continent for a large portion of the campaign because we just didn't want to deal with her at all.
1: Exactly. You were so scared of her. But that meant you hadn't explored some of her more, like, obvious insanities. Mm-hmm. Like, she remained scarier for longer, because you didn't interact with her.
0: Fear of the unknown. And
1: I- I- exactly. And so you had to discover that that part of her insanity was this obsession with the deck of many things. hmm. And I'd been dropping meta hints for a while, but I don't like dropping in-game actual hints, where every session I would show that I had brought the deck of many things to the table, and I would comment how I bring it every single week now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did that for months, for like the last 100 sessions of the campaign, I'd say, or not, maybe 50 sessions of the campaign. I brought a deck of many things because... She had a compulsion with it. She had to use it. She had so when Autumn offered a deal, Red Chaos saw an option to maybe get something back to to claw a piece of satisfaction from what was lining up to be a humiliating defeat. Um, And talk about magic
0: of this group of this campaign. Out of all of the cards that could have been pulled, was okay. So. To back up a little bit, at the beginning, before we formally began the session, I think I was the first, like, it was you, just you, me, and Liz... And you said, before we even started, do you want to pull a card? And I said, no, absolutely not. Because knowing my luck, I'm going to pull the void card. And then I'm just going to like, oops, like what a terrible end for like that. That would suck. That would absolutely suck. And so, of course, out of all the cards, what does Liz pull? But of course, it's the void card.
1: And with her, um, it was even trickier because she didn't have a soul at the time she was a vampire and she was a vampire because the the sort of overarching of autumn's story all of your stories is that you all have been alive many times you you certainly you're all you've all been souls with a purpose and so you've been put in new bodies and put in new bodies and put in new bodies and um at the at the time that was a way for me to sort of give you guys a power up so I could throw heavier stuff at you and sort of show um, just how much control the dragons actually had. Because I think learning that you were all these like reincarnated souls was the first time that you really saw a dragon, even bronze the least dragon of the dragons um, as like God figures. Right. She has been taking our souls and putting them into new bodies. Like that's divinity shit.
0: Absolutely. Right.
1: Right. And so you'd all been Recycled Souls and Autumn's earliest incarnation was actually a character Autumn's player Liz had made years ago for an epic level one shot. Um, Veloth, the Queen of the Elves. That was an original character Liz had come up with for an epic level one shot four years ago at this point. Wow. <laughs> and Queen Veloth was the Queen of the Elves through the campaign because I'm I'm doing this uh, thing called Gigrasil, which is basically like everything I run is all in the same world and mm-hmm. somewhere in the same timeline. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I made an epi- ep- epic level one shot. Someone made a queen of the elves. This is where I'm putting it in my timeline. She survived the epic level one shot. I guess she's queen of the elves now, you know? <laughs> you know. Um, and she was a vampire originally too. And so Autumn's Ark was basically... Um, attempting to kind of keep her soul and keep it intact because every previous incarnation of her soul had been kind of driven mad by the God of time in an attempt to find a way to get his mother's soul back in um, Queen Volant's soul back. Right. So right. Autumn was the holder of this recycled soul. Queen Volant was this ancient vampire, Queen of the Elves totally like nothing behind the eyes anymore. Immortality had kind of made her brain dead. Autumn strikes a deal with Brass, um, the god of time, to get five minutes of time during what I consider to be the hardest fight of the campaign the fight against the Nothing Queen, White's Ascension. Yeah. Um, or Brinthos got straight obliterated. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's not the, the breath weapon, it was literally called Obliterating Breath. Uh, <laughs>
0: not the one to fail save on.
1: No, not the one to fail to save on, um, but so she sold her soul for five minutes more time to prevent that fight from being even harder. Which is very good <laughs> that she did that to mm-hmm. prevent that from being even harder. But all this to say, Autumn is now a vampire, and Queen Valanth is an elf again. She she got her soul back. Autumn sold Queen Valanth her soul. Queen Valanth no longer a vampire. So what happens? When a vampire draws the void card, but her soul is very much in another living creature, what happens? What (laughs) happens in that situation? Uh, The only parameter of the void card besides your soul is imprisoned and creatures guard it, and blah, 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 blah. The very first line was this card spells disaster. And so I had to make sure whatever the consequences of this card being pulled were, were disastrous. Right. And so what happens? Well, Autumn's fine. Autumn faces no repercussions from the card. Her soul in the Queen of the Elves is taken away. And the Queen of the Elves falls incapacitated because it was her body that had the soul stolen from it. And then the entire Elven Empire collapses. Because this immortal leader they'd been operating under got ganked, basically. All Mm -hmm. the power-hungry noble families ripped her apart. And eventually Autumn claimed the soul again, you know, decades later. So that's what ended up happening. That the elves who were meant to go into the next campaign as this huge power got castrated, basically. Right at the very... Right at the very end, the very uh, end,
0: like there. This is one of those moments that you had no way of planning. We ended the session on the void card being pulled, and you had that week to develop all those repercussions <laughs> of what actually happened because of the void card being pulled. And, and, and on the subject and of that connections, was, that was our a second major last plot
1: line in... got hmm? rewritten. A major plot line in Ashmazia got rewritten. Um because wow. of that void card being pulled, just to bring it back to like connections between the campaigns. Wow. Um but anyway, I'm supposed to And that see.
0: was the second last and last session of our campaign, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like right up at the end, like you said, there's just stuff that you can't predict, you can't plan for it's it's wild.
1: But yeah, and that so I never knew. I never knew where it was going. Um, I, I never tried to predict whenever I tried to predict, it just became, um, it just became futile. Like I said, like it just, I, I, it was just an exercise in frustration. Um, and I am not, I am not one of those monks that can spend hours drawing things in the sand and then be completely <laughs> unupset when it gets obliterated. Um, I get very upset when all my work gets obliterated. So, yeah. so I just stopped trying to, um lead I never really tried to lead you guys um but yeah it, it ended on this huge climactic pulling of the void card uh red ascended sort of ran cowardly from the fight in in front of all of these lords of hell that she'd summoned to watch her asc- ascend through a, a great victory which did not happen uh obviously and yeah the campaign ended on the sudden like right hook of the elves are disbanded uh uh they they fall apart in the upcoming centuries and autumn has a chance to get her soul back um and is no longer tied to the elves so autumn just totally abandoned all of her epilogue intentions with the elves because she had no reason to be with them anymore
0: Probably, I would say there is a fair chance that this is the only time in the history of Dungeons & Dragons where someone p- pulled the Void card and they got everything they wanted from it. Like, like <laughs> it was best case scenario for them. I don't know if that's ever happened any other time.
1: It's very funny. And, and I, as you know, I'm very a letter of the law DM. Like, mm-hmm. whenever there's a question of, well, how does this play... The very first thing I do is have people just read out the relevant text, and then we right. take it by like the literalist letter of the law, and that's what I did with the void card, which is it doesn't say the person whose soul gets sucked away faces disaster.
0: And it doesn't say this spells says, disaster for you. It's exactly yeah.
1: it just says this spells disaster. So yeah. I, I, I created the most disastrous possible consequence. Um, but yeah, that's how that fight ended. It was a few rounds of just slugging. Of the dice being against me. Like, I couldn't get my breath weapon back. I couldn't <laughs> fucking hit. Y'all were acing your saves. Even my luck points weren't doing jack shit. Oh, like, by the it was way, just...
0: this spell the counter. Oh, by the way, we have this to circumvent that. Yeah, a lot of that.
1: Like, well, you'd, you'd worked for that. You all yeah. had prepared. And it was one of those situations where... I had multiple moves that could have one-shotted anyone on that field. Maybe not Brinthos just because of damage resistances and hit point totals, but yeah. most of the characters at the table would have been one-shotted by like a ninth level blight with oh. vulnerability to necrotic damage stacked on it. Yeah. Uh, 264 points of fire damage from a failed breath weapon save. Oh, and all the magic items on your body, they get deactivated for the next minute. Like, yeah. like it, it was brutality beyond imagining. So if I even been able to hit you guys properly once, it would have been a much different fight. But I literally couldn't get a single good hit off because you are all too prepared and too coordinated. Truly. Yeah. Well, I am I have a question for you, if that's okay. okay if that's acceptable. Um, Brentos was the last one to die. Yes. He... he his epic boon. Everyone got an epic boon. His epic boon was a purely epilogue choice. He didn't yes. get a damage boost or anything like that. He or got
0: no benefit he... from it in campaign. None whatsoever.
1: <laughs> None. <laughs> you you got your epic boon after the fight with Red Chaos. This sort of this this poetically lackluster final battle. Um. At what point did Brinthos change? From a man seeking redemption out of guilt to someone who embodied selflessness to the point that it became like divine, like a divine detachment a a a you know what I'm you know what I'm saying? like when when yeah. did it become clear to Cole that that's who Brinthos had become?
0: That's a really good question. Um, We have to explain some context, I think, for this answer. So backing up to Black's ascension. Early. um, When Black ascended, we had to... Well, maybe saying we had to is a bad way of putting it. But how it ended up is that we ended up sacrificing um, a god who was one of our very first allies, and because of our decision to align ourselves with the dragons and to ascend them into godhood, she became our enemy. And we ended up sacrificing her to black in order to give her enough power to um, to ascend. And in doing so, this god who was... Um, like the stars were sort of like her domain maybe. yeah so, so vagna is an
1: actual is an actual like you know like thor like odin like an actual god but she's right. one of the smaller ones and she is the goddess of constellations of stars and therefore of like navigation by sea and all of the things that kind of come with constellations and stars so so yeah that's that's um her domain
0: Right, so in sacrificing Wagner to black, we also lost all of the stars in the sky. and Brinthos was so mournful for, you know, like one of those like war is hell, like type moments like that he had this sort of ever lighting candle that he perpetually like physically um uh, extinguished with his fingers as a form of meditation for months like mu- like months in game and out of game like that was like whenever you asked like oh what what are you all doing before bed or whatever like like that was what brinthos did and i think it was like by the time that he had sort of like Finished his penance on that. I think it was around that time where it was just like, I can't, and I don't know if that happened before or after. I can't remember if that happened before or after the accidental vengeance killing of that petty thief from early in the in the, the campaign.
1: Tabaxi, the Tabaxi bard who in the, one of the very first sessions tricked you all and kind of fleeced you and stole from you.
0: Right, and um, then and then literally like a year and a half or more, two years later, like, Brinthos accidentally killed him because of a critical punch to the face. And I, as a player, had to get up and walk away and de-stress because it upset me as a player so much. And so somewhere in there, between those two moments, um, I just decided that partially for my own well-being as a person, because I can't keep letting these things happen and affect me, but also, like, Brinthos was on this sort of redemption storyline anyways, so I think it just got to a point where I had to be like, okay, we're not making mistakes. We are doing the right thing. We are, like, we are above who we used to be. We are just better. And we are not just better for ourselves. We are better for everyone, because... you can't put yourself in bad situations if you are constantly bettering everyone. Like, like obviously not true, but like that's the spirit of it.
1: You you decided that moment never again to run up on someone who was actively running away from you, yeah, and strike them from behind.
0: Absolutely, right? Because
1: yeah. that was the moment they recognized you as a threat. They recognized that I rolled an insight check for them and they did very well. And they, they recognize that you recognized them. Mm -hmm. And as a touring group of con artists, that's really bad Mm -hmm. for them. So they basically just ran from you all. Um, And yeah, you got a, you got a critical hit on a punch to the back of his head. And I rolled his, his uh, first level bard. That's all he was hit points right then and there. And you did more damage than that um at the time that was before you had ascended black and i know that is before you ascended black because black was punishing you all and had removed the ability for you all to to use revivification magic
0: oh my god that's right
1: because we did try to revive him i forgot about that oh my god you all desperately ran to his body and put a diamond oh described as the diamond turned to dust and it was that moment where you all realized what black had said to you that you all realized that until you made up with black until you had who the black dragon the god of death that you all wouldn't be able to be brought back to life so it was sort of this double moment of you kill him out of bloodlust and rage that immediate guilt and grief and regret, not being able to do anything about it because of choices you had made to sort of to to anger the God of death and also having to process at the same time of oh, if one of us die right now, we can't come back. The God of death has decided we don't have access to this anymore right so it was it was an incredibly an incredibly powerful moment so so that is.
0: Yeah, that was That makes
1: a lot of sense that that was the turning point for Brentos that that was the my actions have consequences on a scale that I could never have thought of before.
0: Yeah, that might have been that was one of the first times. That was definitely the most impactful time before the end of the campaign of me crying. Like I don't know if if it was the very first but like it destroyed me on the inside. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and I mean, again, that's just good, like but also. Um... Before you go, I'd like to thank James Roach for the awesome job on the podcast themes. You can check out what he's up to by following him on Twitter at Hamzatron. You can follow RPG Blueprints at RPGBP on Twitter. I'd also like to thank you for listening, and I hope you take a spark of inspiration from this episode and use it in your own creation.